Hey, everyone. Welcome to another podcast sponsored by Standards and Training Committee and under the auspices of the National Council on Interpreting in Healthcare. I'm really excited to bring another local star <laughs> into focus as we have a nice conversation today with Thomas Farkas. Thomas is the Language Access Programs Director at the Cross-Cultural Healthcare Program, CCHCP, in Seattle, Washington. He has worked with and trained numerous health departments, government agencies, hospitals, language services organizations, universities, and schools on various aspects of medical interpreting and language access. Thomas is currently CCHCP's lead trainer for both the Bridging the Gap Medical Interpreter Program and the Training of Trainers Program. Thomas worked on the development of CCHCP's Medical Interpreting and Mental Health Curriculum we may have to talk to you at home for trainers because we have a lot of people asking for more training on that topic, including trainers of trainers, and has developed cur curriculum related to language access and equity in healthcare. In his role at CCHCP, Thomas has also overseen the translation of several medical, mental health, and genetics glossaries. Thomas is a nationally certified medical interpreter, a core CHIP. Hey, welcome to the club with proficiency in five languages. Ooh. In addition to his native language, Hungarian, Thomas holds a bachelor's degree in modern languages, German and French. After studying in Switzerland, he lived in Puerto Rico and gained a Spanish proficiency. Thomas is passionate about sharing knowledge, which has led him down a path of teaching languages, English, German, and French, in places like the Xiangjiaitong University in Shan, China, and the Institut Mont Rosa in Montreux, Switzerland, and Spanish Easy and Fun Language School in Boulder, Colorado. That sounds like a fun school. Welcome to the STC podcast, Thomas. I'm really happy you were able to join us today and uh, shine a light on what brought you to this world of championing language access and reducing healthcare disparities. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be invited. I've always, um, since the beginning of my involvement with language access, um, I think the NCIHC conference was my first big conference where I realized this job goes outside of the office where I used to work. So I'm very excited to be here. Oh, I'm so glad. So looking back, because you have been in many different places on this globe, what brought you to the point where you ended up in the Pacific Northwest of the United States? How did that happen? Yeah, that's a kind of fun story. It does take us back to Puerto Rico, I think. Wait, actually, let's start in Denver. Um, when I moved to the United States, I was pretty young. I went through um, school in Denver, Colorado. So that's where I went to uh, college for the most part. Um, and it was... After college that I first said, I want to do something with my language skills. I, I was doing a sales position at the time. So I was doing phone sales in German and French uh, for maintenance contract renewals for data backup units. Something very, uh, very fulfilling, as you might imagine. 
So I wanted to do something that was going to be a little bit more helpful to people. And I just Googled interpreting. It was something I was always interested in in my studies. And in Colorado, there was an organization, the Spring Institute, who was um, teaching the Bridging the Gap curriculum. So Bridging the Gap was really what brought me through this whole process. Um, So I just looked it up online and I said, you know what, I have a week. I can just join them. Um, I I could take the time off work. So it worked well with my schedule and I just did it because I was interested in it. Um, But it wasn't until shortly after that, when I moved to Puerto Rico, that I realized the the need and this inequity that um, exists there for people who don't speak English, for example, and the power that English really gives you. Um, So living in Puerto Rico really opened my eyes to the whole equity and language access side of it. Before, I was very interested in languages and how cool is it to say things from one language to the other. And then I got really into why it's so important. So then when I came back, I did everything I could to start working for that organization, Spring Institute, where I took the training. And I was lucky enough to get a job, work my way through that, um, or I should say work my way up to where I was managing the program. And then um, one day I got a call from Ira. I don't know if um, you remember Ira, of course. Uh, She was the former executive director here at CCHCP. I had met her because I was already a licensed trainer for the curriculum. And um, I had also told her that I was interested in this position, the one that I currently hold. So I was lucky enough to have her let me know that there was an opening and I applied for it, of course. And uh, that's what ended up bringing me here to the Pacific Northwest. I was happy about because I wanted to come here anyway because I like the rainy weather. Well, CCHCP is what brought me to Seattle as well, and Ira was my trainer. So it's amazing how, despite how large the planet is, how small a world it can often be. So you are now in this position and you've expanded the content by creating some training in mental health interpreting. Tell us about your now. What are some of the big things that you're excited about or uh, working on currently? Yeah, so I think the mental health training we really focused on during COVID. So I would say in the past two years, which was an interesting project in itself, researching mental health during a time of mental health crisis. So I think that's a whole um, area we can discuss about. The projects we're working on now have to do a lot more with um, kind of this newer role that's uh, popping up. I wouldn't say it's exactly newer, but it's kind of a mix between a patient navigator and an interpreter somewhere in the middle. And we're really trying to identify where that is. Now, around the country, you'll hear them called cultural navigators, community health workers, patient liaisons, multicultural patient liaisons. You can come up with a thousand names for them, but they all seem to kind of have this whole general idea that interpreting is great, patient navigation is great, but somehow they're not getting a specific population that is experiencing these disparities. So it's really a lot about giving the interpreters the tools to be able to provide some of those patient navigation services and um, to make sure that uh, things like COVID vaccination rates, for example, or other public health initiatives are something that these populations can also take part in. That's really interesting, the development of niche specializations for uh, healthcare interpreters, I think is a great way to address um, proficiency and patient satisfaction. 
because the the everyday outpatient situations, I think, a preparatory program like Bridging the Gap or many of the other trainings that are out there do a great job preparing you for. But when you then walk into your first uh, patient and family conference because the patient is a recipient of a donated organ, there's such a world of terminology that is not generally addressed in your basic medical terminology class or even a genetics counseling appointment or even a cancer patient going through a complicated chemo and radiation protocol. The people who have to go and come and go and come for the same condition or treatment protocol after an injury or an operation, they become proficient in those prescription medicine names and those acronyms. But even an interpreter that has had basic training can feel lost in those situations. But over time, particularly if you work predominantly with that type of patient, say you predominantly work at um, it used to be called Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Now it's Fred Hutch. But mm-hmm. you work predominantly with cancer patients. The facility to understand the communication develops in a pretty short amount of time because of your exposure to the right type of material. Same thing with genetics counseling. Same thing with uh, post-op patients. Or So the ability to get niche training and hopefully in the future some specializations like a mental health specialization. I look at RID for ASL interpreters and they have so many branches on that tree, even something for the performing arts um, specialization in interpreting for the arts. I would love to see more proliferation of different certifications for interpreters, but I am getting ahead of myself because we first have to get everybody certified at the basic <laughs> level, right? But I'm very excited to hear about that and, and want to learn more. So we're going to talk offline about your mental health training. What else is going on that uh, you want to share with us before I jump into your vision of the future? Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, for the mental health training you had talked about, or I guess this is kind of with both of them, but you had talked about the uh, proficiency and kind of the niche vocabulary. That's something I've been, or I guess accuracy is the topic I want to talk about, um, is something that's been on my mind in all of my trainings. Of course, that's something we teach about is what is accuracy. And when I say evolve, you say evolve. Um but really, I felt like with the um, E2E certification that I just did, um, it really gave me a kind of more of an in-depth idea of how accuracy can be so important, which brings us back to the proficiency and all of the vocabulary. So I've really been trying to work on making the students aware of the fact that we're introducing them to terminology that they're going to need to branch off of then. So really creating like these word maps of what are other words that can come up. Just because we learned endoscopy doesn't mean that you, there's not a thousand other words around there, like fiber or different uh, words that can come up with that. So I've been focusing on that a lot. And especially when it comes to accuracy and mental health, that comes into the ideas of um, metaphors, people talking in metaphors, and how do we actually get that across? So that's been an interesting uh, topic. It's rare that a colloquial expression would translate equally 
But I'll give you an example. Even when it does, there can still be misunderstanding. I was interpreting for a mental health encounter, but not known to me, the patient also had high blood pressure. So when the psychiatrist asked, so how were you over the weekend? And the patient said, oh, I was high. I was so high. Well, that can have two meanings in English, right? It can mean elevation and it can also mean intoxication. And it also has two meanings in Portuguese, being up high or being intoxicated. So I chose intoxicated and the psychiatrist was really surprised and said, really, you've been clean for so many months. What happened? And the patient looked insulted, angry. No, no, no. My blood pressure was high. <laughs> so it's like, oh, the interpreter needs to clarify. I'm so sorry, you know, and move on. But I was like, wow, even in a case where it could be one of two things, the same way in two languages, it still had a third meaning. So, and that's a very simple one syllable word. So the challenge continues to try to come up with glossaries and ways of unpacking terminology, suffixes, prefixes, roots, and where they derive from to try to, like a pirate, uh, pilfer and unpack the value of each one of those doubloons or those messages that you're interpreting. And I think that's really the, or at least that's something I've been trying to focus on is what am I really going to teach someone in 40 hours? I'm not going to teach them all of the different meanings of the word high or anything like that. But I do want to at least build a sense of like uh, openness and flexibility towards realizing that even though you think this means this, you actually need to be someone who is actively aware you're there to manage the communication. So you need to be analyzing what people are saying and just be open to the options. And then just like you said, clarify when it's there. So I can't hope to teach everyone every single word in 40 hours, but hopefully I can build that sense of analysis in them that will allow them to build that. Yes, those roadmaps that will send them on their own scavenger hunt of knowledge. <laughs> Exactly. But now as to whether they'll pursue it or not is going to be up to the individual. But um, at least I hope to give them the road. I found that surprisingly, social media has been very helpful, especially for students who have a working language pair that is English and a rarer language or a language of limited diffusion. If they can find each other, somebody volunteer or two or three people volunteer to be the administrators and create a Pashtu or Dari language group for those interested in interpreting and translation. There's a place to go find consensus for how do you say shunt in our language or how do you say splint? Uh, what works best? And if there is consensus, if there is no really good equivalent, at least everyone's using the next best equivalent the same way so that it is widely understood in this new community abroad. So Facebook has been very helpful for many of those small medical interpreter groups. Uh, wow. But I would like to see better resources. And I'm always coming, pointing them 
to cross-cultural healthcare program to find glossaries for their language. You have an amazing array of languages. So I know you're here as yourself, but go ahead and promote the number of languages that you have medical interpreting glossaries for. Yeah, so I think right now it's 29 languages, um, with Ukrainian being the most recent one. We got some funding to be able to do the um, Ukrainian translation as well. Um, Something that I would like to uh, put some more time into. But of course, in the meantime, we also did the mental health uh, glossaries. So we have specific glossaries related to mental health. I think that's in eight languages right now. We also hope to develop that into more. And then most recently, these past two years, we've been working with the and I'm going to butcher this name because that's really long, but it's, I think, the Regional Genetics Network of the United States. Um, if you Google genetics terminology, you'll find it. Um, they received some funding to have all of the genetics glossaries that they've developed translated into 10 languages, I believe. So um, I think there was some emails going out on NCIHC. Cindy wrote it was part of developing the curriculum, and then we worked on developing the glossaries. So all of those are available free of charge online. Um, And that was quite an interesting process and going through and kind of analyzing all of the translations, talking to the translators and hearing where they had discrepancies. That kind of also fueled my um, interest in this accuracy idea because um, there were definitely some words uh, for one that I was surprised about because we had this translated by translator, professional translator reviewed, and then reviewed by uh, medical interpreters um, and all sorts of people looked at this. But I was surprised at things like red flag, um, which obviously means like a sign of uh, alert. Warning. Uh, Warning or something like that would still slip through. And I know there were hundreds of words that they had to look through, but like red flag sometimes still came across as red flag. And I would have to kind of try to catch those types of things. Um, And I was surprised that even with professional interpretation or translation, that could still. Yep. So I think all of the development, whether it's translation memory or video interpreting and now chat GPT, greatly benefit from a human editor or participation uh, to supervise the process for there to be the most successful outcome rather than just unleashing something without that human interaction. Then you end up with all of those examples that we've seen when people go and spend money to translate the banners at a conference and it says word not found or something like that. And they're positive that it's sending you to the direction that they want you to go. We don't want that happening in healthcare. So participate we want your voices we want your feedback more feedback equals better end product right yeah exactly and that's true about all of our materials too if you do have one of those glossaries and you notice something that could be improved we're always looking to i have a whole list of things to update so we're always looking for that feedback awesome so looking forward Before I ask the question, how long have you been in your position at CCHCP? It's going to be four years now. I came in 2019, right before. So you have a real good idea. It's not like one or two years in. You have a real good idea of how long it takes to get things from idea to completion. 
What are you most excited about? Or is there something on the horizon that concerns you, whether it's Washington State, nationally, globally, wide open? Yeah, I think what I'm most excited about is um, this connecting to care curriculum that I mentioned earlier, or, or we called it connecting to care in the past. It may change names in the future, but it's this whole um, kind of uh, public health navigator, cultural um, liaison type of position. We've been uh, doing a lot of research on that. We'll be working um, with some health departments the United States and in Canada on developing some of that material. So I'm excited to see where it goes. It's a little bit outside my area of expertise. So I get to kind of learn some new stuff, um, more on the health equity and inclusion side of our business, whereas normally I focus just on interpreting. So it's kind of interesting to see a collision of worlds. Um, And it's also been interesting to see how different uh, stakeholders have different ideas about how these things should be done. Um, which I guess would be kind of my concern. If you want to talk about concerns for the future, it's um, kind of this idea of reinventing the wheel. There's just a lot of people in a lot of corners of the world or uh, the world, because we've been working a little bit more globally recently, but even within the United States, a lot of people who have a problem and they're doing their best to try to solve it, um, which is great. Um, But what we come up against is people will come up with these solutions that sometimes might be contradictory. Something that might work really well in one system doesn't work well in the other. So now that I'm working less locally, like I used to in Denver, and more nationally and internationally, um, I've been seeing a lot of those types of viewpoints about should interpreters do this? Should they not? What is interpreting? Um, And it's interesting. I'd like to see a lot more of that um, either standardized or at least acknowledge that there's different ways to go about it. I'm afraid that a lot of people come out of training programs, hopefully not bridging the gap, but I can't say exactly what ideas people walk away with. But I don't want people to think this is how it's done and this is the only way to do it. Rather, this is what the goal is and here's some options that we have to try to conquer that goal. This is why this one's the best. This is why this one's the best. Um, But I have come into conversations with people who have a lot more strict ideas about this is what I learned, this is what works for us, and this is what everyone should do. Um, So that's kind of the concern of it. And I think the solution, hopefully, will be what we end up coming up with this updated connecting to care curriculum that will hopefully allow us to identify all of these parts, say why they're there, and give interpreters the ability to do a little bit more than just interpret. And I say that in quotation marks, um, because of course, just interpreting is a whole lot. And that's a, a job in itself. Absolutely. But I think when I first learned about this connecting to care training, what, what attracted me to it is that it kind of addresses those parts of interpreting that I always found to be the most awkward, like talking to the patient one-on-one, right? We're not supposed to do it. What we do in here is we teach you like, hey, this is why you're not supposed to say this. This is why you are supposed to say this. If you don't know the answer, this is where you go. Like it's that type of training where if the patient at the end of the appointment needs resources and needs help, this person would be able to provide those as opposed to just saying, oh, I'm an interpreter. I have another appointment, so I can't really go. Seemed to make it a lot more human than a lot of the strict curriculum I sometimes have to deliver. Yep. Yep. I think the interpreter specialization really increases patient satisfaction. 
right? The, the last thing you want to hear is that's not part of my job description. When you need something, you know, even if the person is doing the right thing and observing the rules of their workplace. So I love your phrase, a collision of worlds, uh, because really that's what it is. There has not been a large overseeing body. So everywhere has come up with their own make or break solution. And some places have come up with brilliant solutions and other places have come up with sort of mediocre solutions and everything in between and being able to connect, which is what I hope this podcast also helps people do is to see, oh, this is how New York State is doing it. Oh, this is how Hawaii is handling. Oh, look what they're doing in Washington. To bring some more of those satellites around those worlds together so they can see each other. Um, So thank you so much for joining us today, Thomas. Thank you so much, CCHCP, for doing the work in 29 different languages which nobody else bothers to do. They do their top five and maybe once in a while, you'll see the top 10. Uh, We appreciate the place you work for and we appreciate you for spending time with us here today. And everyone out there, tune in again next month for our next STC podcast with another fabulous guest. Lots of interesting people in the queue. Thanks for being with us here today, Thomas. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone.